Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. some questions we will always struggle to answer, especially questions about deep human suffering in light of the belief that God is good. The Holocaust is one such moment in history. International Holocaust Remembrance Day is on January 27th, and on this day, Jewish people and Gentiles around the world will pause and reflect on the tragedy of the Holocaust. This day is a reminder of the terrible persecution that fell upon the children of Israel. It is a very personal and emotional day for many Jewish people, as they remember family and friends from generations before who have suffered or even lost their lives during this time. As we stand with them to remember the Holocaust, we also want to understand this moment in history and learn how we, as believers in Jesus, can oppose anti-Semitism. To help us navigate this, we have invited back Olivier Melnick, our Northwest Regional Director in Seattle, Washington, to answer some tough questions we have about the Holocaust. Olivier, welcome back to Our Hope. Well, thank you for having me again. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, We know that you've written a lot about the Holocaust, so we figured you'd be a great guest for this topic. Well, I am definitely open to your questions. This is is actually a a time of of the year where I, I always write... Uh, an article on the uh, International Holocaust uh, Remembrance Day. When I write it, I always feel the same way. I always start the article and to the effect of, I know some people are wondering why I talk about the Holocaust again, you know, because a lot of people seem to display what, what I call Holocaust fatigue. It's like, do we have to talk about this again? Yeah. But I feel that it's very necessary. It is. I believe that if we don't uh, remember history, then we're doomed to repeat it. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's there's two uh, there's two times that we actually remember the Holocaust. That there's the one that takes place in Israel, which is usually about a week after Passover every year, uh, Yom Hashoah, the day of the catastrophe, and then the international community. Uh, and I think it started uh, in 2005. It's it's actually quite recent. Uh, started to remember the Holocaust uh, internationally with different uh, uh, 
services in synagogues and and uh, community centers and and and, and in different ways to uh, to remember the victims of the Holocaust. Uh, so that's only about 15 years old, and it takes place every year, like you said, on the 27th of January. Yeah. And uh, and, and I think it's it's very important because many mistakes were made uh, during uh, you know during Second World War, and a lot of people felt inadequate or ill prepared or they couldn't do anything to help because a lot of people think what what is one person going to do and yeah. other people helped on the other side they helped the perpetrators they became co-perpetrators in the uh in the event and 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 then you had all the people that look the other way you call them the, the bystanders and that's uh that's also uh, a lot of people uh, during uh, the Holocaust years in Europe, where basically knew what was going on, but chose to look the other way, which is very despicable. Yeah, and that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but first, before we jump in, uh, we know that last time you were here, we asked about your favorite food in France. Uh, so this time we're going to do something different. We just want to ask, is there a Bible verse uh, right now that God has been using to encourage you during this season of pandemic? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's actually a, a Bible verse that I, I like to read. It's a good rem, uh, reminder to me of God's love and God's uh, compassion for his people. And it's in Isaiah 63, 9. Uh, and it's, it goes like this. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his mercy, he redeemed. In, in his love and his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. So that's uh, that's a verse that uh, to me is encouraging. Uh, you know, I have heard stories about people actually uh, finding Messiah in the camps. I know, that, and I know those are not just rumors. They're uh, they're documented. How many? I don't know. Yeah. We, we, we don't really know, but I know it, 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 it happened. That's right. And uh, I'm sure most of us know what the Holocaust is, but just so we can set the stage and prepare to dive deeper, could you share what happened during this time? Well, it basically, it is a, um, uh, an organized attempt at completely eradicating European Jewry. Uh, and um, I think at the time there was about 18 million Jews and um, 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust, one of them being my maternal grandfather. Mm. And I can tell you the, quickly the story later if it's something that would be beneficial uh, to our podcast. Uh, so it was uh, you know, done by Nazi Germany with the help of some other countries actually. And unfortunately, I have to say the country I'm from, France, uh, was helpful in uh, in collaborating with the Nazis and the Vichy government uh, helped the Nazis and the result was uh, the death of about 78,000 French Jews. Um, so the total of uh, the Holocaust actually, uh, the total victims in the Holocaust were 12 million. Six million of them were Jews. But it, there's a lot of other victims that uh, yeah. are often not talked about, but it's the total is 12 million, 12 million people, 6 million Jews, and I think it was one and a half million children. Oh my gosh. Uh, and the, uh, the, the ways that the creative, which is 
really a, an odd word to use. The creative ways that were used by the, the Nazis to kill the Jews are unbelievably evil. Yeah. You know, and I remember years ago, the first time I heard that, uh, you know, I used to say that, you know, Hitler was, was insane. And then it was a prof of mine who became a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Michael Rydelnik at Moody. He was teaching a class on the Holocaust. And he said, we cannot say that Hitler was insane because insanity gives you the, uh, the excuse that you're, you don't have a full, uh, a clear mind and you can be excused of, of your actions. You have to say that Hitler was evil. And there's a big difference. Yeah. So, so, so the Holocaust um, uh, was was a, a well-oiled machine to get rid of the Jewish people. Yeah. And it almost succeeded. And uh, and I don't know. I, I want to add one more thing because a lot of people, uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, you talk a lot about the Holocaust, but what about the other genocides? And um, that's something that I, I covered in my article. Uh, the Holocaust is is unique for at least one reason, is that all the other genocides in the history of mankind, the one prior to the Holocaust and the ones after the Holocaust, when people had a, well, there was a, a, you know, usually two people group that were fighting and one people group wants to take over and get rid of uh, the other ones and they always have a chance. They say, you know what, get out, get out of here or we're going to kill you. And those who want to fight, want to stay, might die, but some might you know, those who want to leave that country or that region have a chance to do that uh so that that that's one way to look at all the genocides in the history of mankind the holocaust is the only one of all the genocides that you see the the german uh the nazis going out of their way to use the train system in europe to go get the jews to bring them back so it was not safe anywhere for Jews unless they move to, you know, America or Canada or, or, or Israel. Uh, <clears throat> and so this is very unique. It is the only genocide where the Germans went out of Germany to go get the Jews and bring them back to their death, to take them to the death camps. That's what I think it makes it very, very unique. Indeed. And I think also, I've read somewhere that it's the largest recorded genocide in human history. You know, I was looking at that yesterday on, I was doing a little research when I was uh, writing the article and uh, the first, uh, it is the, the largest, even when you just look at the Jewish people, uh, I was putting together the, uh, the Cambodian uh, genocide, the uh, Armenian genocide, and there was another one, the, th third, the three largest genocides yeah. uh, after uh, the Holocaust. And when you put them all together, you come to 5.8 million. Wow. And the Holocaust is, if you count everybody, 12 million. But if you just count the Jewish people, 6 million. So it's, uh, and it, again, numbers are not everything because one life taken is one life too many. Yes. So we don't want to say, well, the, we win because we got the most. No, no that's not the way we look at it. <laughs> not at all. But it, it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And it's definitely not a contest anybody wants to no. win. No. So you mentioned that you know at least one person, somebody in your family had been through the Holocaust. Have you met a Holocaust survivor or do you know anyone else who has been through it? Well, I mean, it, this is very, uh, very personal to me because uh, my, my maternal grandfather, uh, Maurice Weinzweig, died in the Holocaust. Uh, yeah. My mother was 15 when the Gestapo came to their house, the house that I grew up in, you know, I grew up in in Paris. And um, 
basically knocked on the door and said, we know that your husband is uh, hiding somewhere, is in, is in the building. Somebody in the building had called the Gestapo saying, there's a Jew hiding in his building, come get him. Gosh. And my grandfather didn't have legal papers. He was from uh, Russia and the rest of the family had been in France and had the regular papers. All of us were Jewish. I mean, all of them, I was not born then. And he uh, basically was hiding in a cellar. And the Gestapo came to get him, and my grandmother said, I don't know where he is. And they said, well, come back tomorrow, and if he's not ready to come with us, we'll take you and your daughter. That would be my mother. And the next morning, he made himself ready because he didn't want his wife and daughter to be taken. Yeah. And he said, don't worry, I'll come back. I'll figure out a way, I'll let you know. And he was taken to a, to a, a place in Paris when they were running up all the Jews and then put on a train. And much later in life, I figured out uh, through uh, research that he died seven days after he was taken, which according to what happened, probably would have died on the transport or upon arrival at Auschwitz. There's a record of him going being taken to Auschwitz, but I don't think he spent much time there because a week was not, not long enough to, it was basically, you know, the 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 trip to Auschwitz and then that that was about it but uh, you know the the result of that is that my mother went to the south of France to hide on a farm as a Catholic girl and yeah. stayed for the rest of the war and there's a you know there's a, a, a whole story behind that but it's not until she was 40 years old that she was um, comfortable speaking about our, our Jewishness I mean we knew we were Jewish but she was very scared of saying she was Jewish and uh, she she didn't talk about it. And and every time I met friends in school when I was a kid, I remember she said, do they know you're Jewish? Oh. And I said, Mom, I, I don't care. Oh. And, and they don't either. But to her, it was such a scar, which is understandable. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know, uh, while it seems that the Holocaust has affected individual people, it's also considered a shared collective trauma in the Jewish community. Why would you say that is, you know, so many years after it? Well, all I can tell you is is my own experience. Um, you know, I'm I'm 61, and uh, I had not had a chance to go to Israel until about maybe six years ago, six seven years ago, and I go every year and I take tours, but it had not happened in my life, and. Every time people would ask me, "Are you gonna go visit Israel as a, you know as a Jewish man?" Yeah. and I said, "I want to, but I have to go to Auschwitz first. And I just mm -hmm. could not tell people why. I just said, "I have to go to visit Auschwitz before I go to Israel." And there was a sense of it. it I cannot explain it. I'm just gonna say it, but I cannot explain it. There was a sense of guilt, mm -hmm. like I should not be alive because I'm Jewish. And, you know, all my people that died in the Holocaust, I felt guilty of being alive. It's the weirdest thing I know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I went to Auschwitz. I had a chance to go uh, in uh, the winter of 2010, uh, a few years before I went to Israel. And I just walked the camp and looked around and, and, and spent, spent a day there. And it brought some closure. And it, it was when I, when I was done, it was like, okay, I paid my respect to my grandfather, who, of course, I never met him. Uh, I paid my respect. I, I, I did what I wanted to do, yeah. and now I can move on. So it's it, it's different for everybody, but there is this sense of a dark cloud over our heads as Jewish people 
that uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an event that it's just a big, big wound and a scar in the psyche of the Jewish people globally. And there's, of course, as, uh, as um, believers in the Messiah, there is this, uh, this not fear because we know that God loves us and God is very compassionate, but, yeah. but there's this understanding that it's going to get a lot worse for the Jewish people again and there's a chance that it could happen again if if people don't pay attention and if people don't get involved in fighting the Holocaust uh, you know remembering the Holocaust uh, for what it was and fighting anti-semitism like you said in your opening that's so true and I think that's why you know chosen people ministries we fight very hard to make sure that people don't forget what happened during the Holocaust it's very difficult I think for believers to reconcile the goodness of God with the events, you know, like the Holocaust, these human tragedies, and just the pervasiveness of evil in the world. Um, and I think one of the excuses people have come up with is that throughout the Bible, we see that God speaks of other nations conquering Israel due to their disobedience. And so because of this, some believers will say that the Holocaust is a type of punishment. How would you respond to that? This is a tough question. Uh, I I don't think that is... A, I, I just cannot believe that this would be a punishment inflicted by God. Um, the way I look at... The way I look at, at what happened in the Holocaust... And, and again, there's no right answer when it comes to why the Holocaust. I remember in the class mm -hmm. I took with a... Uh, uh, Dr. Rydelnik, he had mentioned uh, something that I I mention a lot when people ask me now, uh, is that um, you know sometimes when you talk to a Holocaust survivor about about the Holocaust, all you can do is just not use any words and just give him a hug. That's right. And and so that that's I remember that. Now, the way I look at what happened to the Jewish people, and again. This is an analogy, and all analogies fail at some point. Yeah, it's not perfect, but I look at my—I uh, actually use that analogy with my mother when I had the privilege of leading her to the Lord uh, seven years ago, because she was really angry at God, and um, and uh, I told her, I said, "Mom, uh, uh, my 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 father was dying in the hospital, and I, I led both my parents to the Lord that day. It was incredible. Oh, that's awesome." Uh, and then I said, "Mom, you know." you know man is going to fail you but god never will and so you need to put your trust in god and she looked at me and she said you want me to believe in god after what you did in the holocaust so my mom looks at me and tells me do you want me to trust god and believe in god after what you did in the holocaust referring to the death of her father when she was 15. yeah and then I had this um, this great um, analogy that I, there's no question that the Holy Spirit gave it to me because I was not prepared at all. And I said, "Mom, uh, let's 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 assume that my son comes home one night and he's got uh, two police officers accompanying him, and they said, Mr. Melnick, your son, who's 20 years old, lives with you, but uh, he, he ran a red light and a stop sign, and uh, we have a ticket. Uh, uh, how do you want to pay for it?" And I would look at the police officer and say, wait a minute, he's 20, he's got a driver's license, he knows the law, he's responsible, why are you looking at me? Yeah. And then I look at my mother and I said, why do you want to hold God responsible for what man 
did to other men. Oh, wow. And she looked at me and she actually agreed and we moved forward and, you know, eventually the conversation led to praying to receive, uh, to receive Yeshua. But I want to add to that that I think that what, what God will do, God is like our Father in heaven. And what God will do is that uh, He will say, listen, you're under my protection. I will take care of you. But if you really want to go on your own, just go and try the world. So if we do things, if we go from under yeah. God's protection, He's not going to inflict pain on us, but He will let us be uh, hurt by other people maybe and, and experience things that... So, you know, if my son says, Dad, I don't want to be in your house anymore, I say, okay, go, go do your thing. I'm not doing things to him, but I'm letting him experience things that he might not end up liking. So I, I don't think that God uh, uh, inflicted uh, the Holocaust as a punishment. But when Israel disobeyed, it is possible that God said, you want to disobey, you want to do your thing, I'm going to scatter you in the world. And then, I mean, it talks about that in, in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, actually. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it is a result of, of Israel's disobedience. It's connected. A result is a strong word. I would say it's connected. We'll be right back. In honor of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, we are offering a discount on our booklet, Never Again, The Holocaust Remembered. Save 25% on this special booklet when you enter coupon code NEVERAGAIN at checkout, only on January 27th. Get your copy at store.chosenpeople.com. Now back to our episode. So in the Jewish perspective, the Nazis are sometimes also seen as Christians, but we know that believers are called to love and bless the Jewish people. So where was the church during this time of need? Good question. Where was the church? Well, I think the church was divided. Uh, there, there are uh, different groups you can divide uh, the players during the Holocaust uh, into several categories. Mainly, I would say four. The victims, the perpetrators, yeah. the co-perpetrators, the people that helped the perpetrators, and the bystanders. And I would say that the church falls into well i mean there are actually they can they could fall into all four categories but for the most part the the the, the saddest category that the church might fall into would be the the bystanders yeah the people that would look the other way and say hey listen i'm not jewish i don't know anybody jewish i can't do anything on my own i'll look the other way and uh, some people in a church also helped uh, in, in in different uh, countries in, in in france in in italy in Germany, uh, yeah. But to me, the saddest group is the people that uh, that were the the bystanders uh, that just didn't do anything. And and um, I've said it before. I don't know if I probably not on the podcast, but I've said it before in in various uh, writings and and conferences that a a bystander who does nothing only facilitates the work of a perpetrator. Yeah. And that's that's where the church. 
not the whole church, you know, we don't want to paint with broad strokes, not the whole church, but many people in the church ended up facilitating the work of the perpetrators because they didn't do anything. And, and, and I know that the times are coming where it's going to be difficult. It's already there. It's already here. I mean, uh, you see what's happening in, you know, to the Jewish people globally. Yeah. The time is coming where Christians are going to have a chance to, I don't want to say redeem themselves because, you know, we are redeemed by the blood of Yeshua, but redeem themselves, you know, in the community uh, and, and, and do something to help their Jewish friends. You know, after the war, within a year or two after the war, uh, Yad Vashem, the uh, Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, yeah. started gathering uh, information about the people who helped the Jews during the war. And these people became known as the righteous among the nations. Mm. Oskar Schindler, Cory Tamboom, and many different uh, people got listed and got recognized. And, and I think, I don't think, I believe that... We are coming to a time where there is there is now a time for the new righteous among the nations to rise up. And they would be what I see as the Christians who understand the place of Israel in God's plan, understand the mistakes that were made 75 years ago, and want to make sure that they are ready to help the Jewish people in times of need. That's right. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, Corey Temboom and other people who have helped out. I remember when I was in high school, we watched a documentary called Constantine's Sword. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it talks about, I think, just the history of like hatred coming from the Catholic Church specifically. But it also uh, went more into detail about anti-Semitism in the Catholic Church. And uh, there was this one picture that they showed in the documentary that stuck with me over the years. And it was a picture of a, a few bishops saluting Hitler. And I got so angry when I saw that because I just saw it as Christians basically selling out. And, you know, when you mentioned that there were Christians who were bystanders and said, well, I don't know anybody who's Jewish. I don't want any trouble. I'm not going to get involved. I think that could be considered a sin of omission when you allow injustice to prevail and you don't take a stand and you don't do anything about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Sometimes I wonder how far are we going to let uh, things go now against the Jewish people because before we, we become vocal about it. And uh, so that's why I do what I do. That's why I, I teach, you know, you know, to people about, you know, the history of anti-Semitism. And I tell people all the time, anti-Semitism today, it didn't happen in a vacuum. It's not something that, you know, people woke up when they say, okay, I'm going to hate the Jews now. Yeah. No, that's not the way it happened. It's 2,000 years of history, and a, a lot of it from the church, from the Catholic church, and from their wrong view and wrong understanding of the place of Israel and God's plan, and then um, got developed into more and more laws over the centuries, and then uh, people got really uh, uh, vocal and then violent against the Jews, and then we get to the Holocaust, and then we get to the new anti-Semitism. Yeah. So, uh we have to be, uh, you know, chosen people. We are really, uh, we've, we're vocal when something happens like uh, like this. We are, and 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 that's I, I really like that about our uh, our organization. The fact that we will not let uh, any acts of anti-Semitism go uh, unspoken. You know, we will say something about it, and will, and, and it's important. But everybody can do something. Uh, you know, it's the the title of of my article this week is uh, "Don't Wait for Anybody." To remember, don't wait for anybody else to to remember the Holocaust. Yeah. In other words, you can do it. Uh, and and another thing, and I might open a can of worms here. Uh, 
I don't know if I'm the only one or, but I really don't care for the concept of the hashtag we remember. Yeah. Because people that use hashtags have a tendency to just you know, throw it on the net for a day or two and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. I think something like the Holocaust, we need to remember every day. Not to think about it every day, but it's not just the 27th of January. No. It is an event that that is critical in the history of mankind. And I don't like the hashtag we remember. But again, I don't want to open another can of worms. I'm not against hashtags. I, just, <laughs> I don't think this one works for that. But that's just me. No, I tend to agree. I mean, I think it's good to raise awareness, to bring it back into public memory, because a lot of people do tend to forget. Um, but like you said, it's only for one day. And then everybody kind of goes on with their lives the next day. Uh, so we will uh, discuss what are some ways we can remember it. But first, I just want to ask, there were churches around during the Holocaust that had Jewish believers, you know, in attendance. Did this open the eyes of other Christians to Jewish suffering, would you say? I'm sure, you know, well, I was not there. I'm sure it did to an extent. Uh, there were uh, there were churches that actually uh, played an important role in saving Jews. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, there's a great story of a, uh, of a church or of, of uh, maybe a, more of a, a network of churches in, a, in the center of France in a small village known as Le Chambon. I don't know if, you're, if you've heard the story. And uh, it's, uh, it's this small village of Le Chambon sur Lignon, which is the exact name of the village. And then mm -hmm. uh, uh, it helps when you're born in France. You can say it right, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah. the, uh, the village, uh, the pastor, actually, who is, uh, if you go to Yad Vashem, he and his wife uh, have a tree planted in their name oh. because they saved at least 3,000 Jews. Uh, wow. The pastor would have Jews come to his village and then I love that story. He would come to a, to the service and and preach on any given day, evening or Sunday, and he had received maybe five Jewish people overnight that he would have to hide or or uh, try to move them into Switzerland and the free zone or whatever. Yeah. And he would say, "Okay, we just got a shipment of five Old Testaments. Who oh. wants to take one? Wow. Who needs one? That was his code." And so people would raise it and I said, I'll take two. I need two of them. Wow. And then so, so the, under the nose of the Nazis. Wow. And, and that went on for a few years. And so they would take the Jewish people in their home and then they would do whatever they can to hide them, feed them, give them clothes, money, and then move them to wherever they could be uh, to freedom. And there is a documentary uh, on uh, online. Uh, if you type Le Chambon, C-H-A-M-B-O-N, mm. you will see the documentary is, uh, uh, I think it's called Weapons of the Spirit. It's it's wonderful story. Wow. And, and and I know it's not the only one. Uh, there's there's more. So, so as much as we talk about the church being responsible, being co-conspirators and, and uh, bystanders, the other side of the coin is that there were also people, Christians and non-Christians, yeah. who saw... Uh, an opportunity to help their fellow man and help the Jewish people. Yeah. So jumping into today, how can we as believers best observe Holocaust Remembrance Day? Well, the uh, the way I like to look at it is uh, I have um, several things that I put uh, that, I, that I tell people when they can do it. They can uh, 
not everybody can do all of them, but I, I recommend if people can do it, and, and this is more gen, more general than just on, on Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, if people have a chance to visit one of the camps, uh, they should. Definitely Christians all should have an, uh, take an opportunity to visit one of the camps in, in, in Europe. Another thing is, and it's becoming harder and harder, if there is in your community uh, an event where they're going to have a Holocaust survivor speak of their experience. Yeah. There is that 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 should be attended. That you should go and listen to that person and interact with that person if you can. Uh, unfortunately, if you look at somebody who was born, just born a baby during the years of the Holocaust, they would be mid 80s, uh, you know, 80s to mid 80s, and most people actually were a little older when they when they entered the Holocaust era. So yeah. now we're looking at people that are in their 90s and they're dying fast. Yeah. So. It's another reason why it's so important to, uh, uh, to perpetuate the, the memory of the Holocaust because pretty soon it will just be people like you and I speaking of it from what we've learned in the books or what we've learned from our own families in my case. Yeah. But it's becoming harder and harder because the further away we move from the event itself and, and the first-hand witnesses who, who were part of it are gone, then we rely on books and videos and 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 and, and things like that yeah. and we were fighting the uh, historical revisionist and the holocaust deniers who saying it was a hoax it never happened so talking to to uh, witnesses who, who live there visiting a camp uh, uh, going to going to a uh, to a service of, of any kind at a congregation that would do a holocaust remember, remembrance day would be good uh, there are books that you can read. I I think that everybody should read Night by Elie Wiesel. Mm. It's a short autobiographical work by Elie Wiesel when he was about 15 years old with his father uh, in several camps. He survived. His father did not. And uh, he, he tells the story just exactly what happened, and it's pretty gruesome. Another mm. book that I, I, I recommend is a book by uh, uh, the um, Nazi hunter Simon Wiesenthal. Mm. And it's called the Sunflower. If you look it up online, wow. it's a great, uh, a great uh, book. Not too big. Uh, if people cannot, or well, not cannot. I was gonna say if people cannot read, that didn't sound right. If people <laughs> don't care to read, you know, our our new generation, more and more people don't like to read as much as you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, watch Schindler's List. Yeah. It's it's a good start. Watch a movie, read a book, go to a. Uh, go to a conference or, or, or a service, visit a camp. Those are things you can do. If you know, if you know somebody Jewish and your friends, call them. Yeah. Call them and say, I want you to know that today I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for you and I'm remembering what happened to your people. Yeah. And it, it saddens me that it happened. And I want you to know I love you and God loves you. And I'm just praying for you today. Just let them know that you remember and you care. And I think that will go a long way. Yeah, I think showing you care is so important because I think oftentimes we tend to just kind of like keep it quiet, maybe don't want to bring it up, but, you know, to know that people will appreciate the thought, you know, makes it worth doing. So we know that anti-Semitism is unfortunately still around today. With an understanding of the past, how can we continue to actively oppose anti-Semitism? The first thing that we need to do is what I've done for 21 years now. 
educate. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually teaching a class on Monday night on Zoom where I'm doing the history of the Jewish people through the lens of anti-Semitism, relationship with, with the nations, relationship with the church. And <laughs> the poor people in that Bible study, they, they're just, it's very depressing. Because it's it's getting worse and worse and worse, and we're not even. I mean, we're like in the in the in the middle of the Middle Ages right now. Oh wow! Uh, so education. When I when I do this, uh, when I do an overview of this uh, in a message in a church, people always come to me and 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 they they sometimes with teary eyes and they say, "I had no idea mm. that so much had happened to the Jewish people, yeah. and so much of it was by quote unquote Christians." And so it's an eye-opener for a lot of people. The history of, of the Jewish people can be punctuated by acts of anti-Semitism when you look at 2,000 years. Yeah. So the first thing is, is education. Educate yourself. Uh, learn about the Jewish people. You know, it's always good when you're going to relate to a people group to know exactly their, their, what's, you know, to know about their history and their mm -hmm. culture and their customs. And unfortunately... When you study anything about the Jewish people, anti-Semitism is is attached to us. It's 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 always been there. It's always going to be there. So we can pray that 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 it stops. But unfortunately, the the main source of anti-Semitism is Satan himself, yeah. who hates every everything that God loves and loves everything that God hates, and he wants to destroy the Jews. So we know it's not going to end, but we can speak against it. We can fight it. We can. Uh, you, so you educate yourself. You then then share with others what you what you've learned. Tell others. Let them know what you've learned, and and uh, stand up against it. Uh, similar to the, the the phone call when you call a Jewish friend. If you see as a Christian, if you see that something happened in your community, being you know a terrorist attack or or defacing of a of a synagogue wall or burning of a Torah scroll in the synagogue or those things that happen on a regular basis or, or violence on the streets of Brooklyn. If you know somebody connected to that event or, or even if you don't know, call the synagogue and say, listen, uh, I'm a Christian. I love Israel. I love the Jewish people. And I don't know how I can help. But if you need my help to come, to come do anything to help you in your community, I'm available. And, and that will help, I think, in, in rebuilding bridges that have been burned by 2,000 years of anti-Semitism. If the Christian community would take the time to call the Jewish community in times of need and say, how can I help? Very often they will just get a, a polite, no thank you, the fact that they called. It will not be forgotten. Amen. Those are all great suggestions. And just to add to that, uh, you if you see any anti-Semitism online on social media, report it to the platform. Olivier, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot, and I think our listeners will uh, definitely walk away with some new knowledge about the Holocaust. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Holocaust Remembrance Day reminds us of a truly painful, somber moment in human history that we should never forget and never again repeat. While it is easy to post a hashtag about this day, let us also remind ourselves throughout the year to stand with our Jewish brethren in unity. As followers of Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, we have a responsibility to take a stand against anti-Semitism. 
God loves his chosen people, and he will be faithful to keep the covenant he made with Abraham. We know that God has preserved his people because Israel has a glorious future ahead. In closing, we want to leave you with these verses from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 through 36. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode was brought to you by Olivier Melnick, Abraham Vasquez, Grace Swee, Dr. Mitch Glazer, and Kyron Bautista. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.